I've had a breakthrough in the work-life balance uh, sort of mindset, Brandon. And that is what's happened is today on and off, I've been trying to figure out in Dungeons and Dragons, if you have the crossbow expert feat, is that then makes using a net a viable option in combat. Okay, so here's the problem. Now, a net is a ranged weapon. So I have this, this ranger character that I play around with. And this, this ranger has can use a net. But the problem with a net is it has a range of five feet, and then it has an extended range of like 10 feet. Now, with an extended range, when you attack with it, you roll at what's called a disadvantage, which means you have to check twice to see if you've been successful, which is not good, right? So that's two times, you, you know, I don't know what, how math works, but you, you might fail. So that's, that's not cool. <clears throat> you, you roll the dice twice and you take the lowest score, basically. You're, you're forced to take the lowest score. However, if you have a crossbow feat, crossbow expert feat, this means that you no longer are affected by this disadvantage when you attack within a five-foot range. That's the other thing that I said, I skipped over, is in Dungeons & Dragons combat, when you use a ranged weapon, like a crossbow, crossbolt, wait, crossbow or a, or, a, or a bow and arrow, if you're within five feet, you attack at a disadvantage. So you have to roll two dice and you take the lowest, which is bad, right? But if you get this feat, which you can get at fourth level, uh, the crossbow expert, then you can attack within five feet without a disadvantage, which means you can use a net without it being a disadvantage. Now, when you use a net, you throw that at a creature and the creature enters this condition called restrained. Now, in the restrained condition, they can't move, which has all sorts of interesting effects. Uh, you know, they're, they're frozen and they attack at a disadvantage. So if they want to attack you, they have to roll two dice and take the lowest for their attack, right? And uh, then you can attack at an advantage because they're restrained. So you get to roll two dice and you take the highest result. Uh, and, and then also, you know, they're in a net, right? So, so they're, they're caught, which is great for a flying creature because if a flying creature's movement uh, reduces to zero, then it falls, so that's something I haven't considered, so I'm glad we're going through this. A net is handy for, for making a flying creature fall down. So that's good to know. <clears throat> Anyhow, the only problem with using a net, there's a second problem, is that if you use a net and you can have multiple attacks, when you use the net, you can no longer have multiple attacks if you're using the same attack action. So this ranger that I have, she actually can do multiple attacks, but only in one action. So if she threw a net, she cannot attack. But then if you have the crossbow expert feat, which she has, you can actually get a bonus action to attack with a hand crossbow. But the hand crossbow will have to be preloaded, which is fine, because you can't load a crossbow if you've got a net in the other hand. Although now I'm thinking about this, maybe you could. But so, so in theory, she could throw a net, it would restrain a creature, and then she could also attack with a hand crossbow, and then you'd get kind of a, a, a good effect there, right? Now... I've just come up with a few things. So I've thought about this some more. Good for flying things. So it's always good to have a net nonetheless. And two, also, if you have the crossbow expert feet, you don't suffer from the loading problem of a hand crossbow. So if you threw a net, your hand would be free. And then you could load your crossbow with it. So you could have an unloaded hand crossbow. I don't know. It's a little too much to ask. My whole point of this is all of my workaholic life, I've heard that one of the issues you have being a workaholic is that like you don't have anything else out of your your life that you can kind of like focus on, whether that's like God or family or like a garden you're working on. And what I've discovered recently, as I've just demonstrated, is now I really have something else that I can focus on. And I can use all that crazy, whatever it is in my head, 
that analysis and edge finding and all that stuff that made me a good programmer, good at strategy and analysis, and more or less is good at figuring out content stuff. Like I have like an endless hungry black hole that I can pour it into and it can invade my thoughts. So I think I've, I've, I've solved the, uh, the workaholic problem that I have. I kind of see that one becomes a workaholic if it's like, well, one, you're prone to this kind of like uh, addictive behavior, but that if there's like nothing else to like, you know, bring you that kind of like, uh, like, what would you call it? Like nothing else to kind of like, you know, point your monkey at. Yeah, silence the chatter in the head, right? Like, give you like a real focus, a real like. I I like it. So, one, um, as we're getting some feedback in the in the chat there, I think people are generally very impressed with uh, everything you went through. And if there's a test, I'm going to pass on taking the test and everything that was reviewed (laughs) there. But I do think maybe the other thing you should consider is uh, my son is taking uh, standardized tests this week because you know that's what we do. Uh And he was just talking about. He's like, you know, Dad, the the reading comprehension and stuff. It's just like the paragraphs are like really boring. I was like, well, you know, that's kind of how it is. And the paragraphs have to be in a certain kind of thing. And I was just saying to myself, like, Kote, what have you made standardized testing, just a series of Dungeons and Dragons uh, questions and logic puzzles, right? I was like, I think, I think the kids, I mean, there's a segment of kids that I think the scores would go up significantly. There's like, I mean, now they're going to be, we're going to need to offer like another alternative test. It's like, you can take the regular test the D&D test, and then maybe we'll have to think of another one that maybe appeals to like a whole different oh, yeah. uh, genre. But I was like, man, I think this would be uh, just what you said, right? It's just like, wow, the kids would really, like, certain certain kids would really be into this. And uh, just as you went through this, because at the end you could be like multiple choice. And therefore, uh, the best way to uh, kill the, the, the flying monster would be A, use this, B, do this. I was like that, you know, it's almost like an LSAT, an LSAT for kids based on Dungeons and Dragons. I think that would yeah. be great. I, I think, I think, I think, you, you, and that's interesting. And I think you're like, I don't think about this very often, but one of my theories of school, I mean, maybe I could ask my mother cause she's got a master's degree in education. Uh, but like, I think one of the theories of those standardized testing, well, one, you could, you know, there, I guess there's three things. One, you want to test just like memorize knowledge, right? Do you know something, which is fine. Right. And then, but then the part you're talking about too, you like, you both want to test that someone can go through the mechanics of applied analysis, right? Given this situation, do you have the tools in your head that you can solve uh, the problem? But then, but there's a third thing, which I think, and maybe this is what causes a lot of problems because I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think the third thing that like you're constantly tested in in school is like, can you do something you don't want to do? Right. Like, can you do something that you're really bored about that you have no interest in? But can you take that machinery that you have and apply it to, like, get the right result to it? Right. Because, like, you know, for your example, right, like, absolutely. Like you read that it's not like the essays in there are going to be appealing to everyone. You know, like like at, at best what they would do. I mean, it would be this would be cheating because everyone knows all the stories. But like you would want something of the general appeal of like Harry Potter and be like, read this passage of like Harry and whoever else doing a thing and now answer the academic questions based on that. Right. Cause it would be like entertaining and people would be into it. But like, you know, what this third thing of like, can you're boring, you'd be do things you don't like is like, yeah, we, we know this is boring and you don't like it, but that's what we're testing is like, <laughs> we want to verify that you can still apply the, your, your, your machine to something that like is 
right. sucks. You just have to do it. Well, maybe that's where it is. But we do have from the, the chat here in the stream, some people coming up with some very good alternative tests. So I, uh, there's a Minecraft test. I think that would be do well. A TikTok uh-huh. test. I love that. This one is really good. A Taylor Swift test. So like everything would be related to maybe like, you know, because there's a lot of uh, people that follow Taylor Swift and like read into a lot of her actions. So you could be like, Taylor Swift did X, Y, Z. And then at the end, like, what does this mean? Right. What is oh, the yeah. meaning of the scarf or the like the hidden stuff? So I guess you're right. I don't know what that says about society. I guess we have to prepare the children to do things they don't want to do. Maybe maybe that's a broader well, you know, society look, implication. But like, yeah, I don't know. But to your point, like when people are interested in any of the topics we just mentioned, like you'll see someone that doesn't like you know, math or science, or whatever, you give them Minecraft and they're like, they come back and they like can do like all these commands and build these, you know, incredible things because they're interested in yeah. Taylor Swift. Like certainly there's a lot of logic reasoning uh, that the Swifties come up with when they're like com- uh, comprising their theories of like what, what things mean or how to get tickets. That That's a very uh, creative group of people. Yeah. As well. It's it's like a, and, and exactly. And, and it's sort of like, and that's making me think that this, this is, you know, this is a very like lighthearted, not like uh, as serious as the issue is, but it also kind of point, it helped, helps explain the, the, the culture problem with standardized tests is generally it assumes that you're members of maybe not one, but certain cultures that just like innately know things, if only that you're interested in it. Right. So yeah. like you could, so in theory, like I tried to read the Icelandic like uh like tails and man so much about sheep they were just like not very interesting whereas like so so in theory you could take like you know even a good translation of the icelandic sagas and if you use that as like the the like read this and tell us about it stuff in in american standardized tests i bet the scores would go down a lot across the board because people would be like what <laughs> right and so like and and so you could you know there's almost using the mechanics you know some of the philosophy of D as i relearned the fifth edition rules they don't always do this but there's often for people who've got like a crazy you know overactive mind like mine there are often like gambling choices you can make about which rules to follow depending on what you want to do and so maybe that would be another aspect of standardized tests is like okay you can just take one, the first, there's going to be three options for this uh, written thing. You can just take the first one and go with that. Or if you want to take the time to to assess the other two, you could pick one of those and answer to that. So it's not, there, there's not just like, there's not just one, like, you know, 800 page story that you're going to read and then show that you have some basic, like, literature analysis capabilities i don't know what they do nowadays but that's i remember that was in the sats and stuff but you could take a gamble that if you don't like the first one you can go check out the other two which might be from a totally different kind of cultural vantage point than the one that this first one is written about like if you don't like steinbeck if you're like fuck that guy why don't you go go over and you can choose from some other two people to read I get from. the classics right no like but i think to your point is like there's something maybe it's like there's three sections and you just take the best score take, you do all three sections take the best score right and maybe one is and it just sort of demonstrates things you're interested in or maybe it's just like the advice i gave my son today i was like listen i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend that these standardized tests are fun or even they really represent 
you know, much in real life, but like you need to do well on them. And then once you kind of, if you can do well on them, then go find some other stuff that you like. And like, he's yeah. in a bunch of other clubs and it's like, yeah, it just works out better that way. So I don't know, maybe yeah. to your point, like maybe it's just a rite of passage. I, I think, I think there's a lot of, there, there, that's, that's a good thing to, to, uh, you just got to prepare for that. Well, you know, speaking of a rite of passage, Brandon, I think what we saw last week is that no matter how big and successful you are as a systems management company, eventually Cisco is going to buy you. <laughs> like I think, yeah, I think most all systems management companies end up at, at uh, being acquired, being at Cisco, where we saw uh, Splunk was was purchased. Or, I mean, I, 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 of all people at the moment, know the wording here. I'm sure at a $28 billion, you know, it's an intent to acquire. I don't know when the closing date is, but I'm sure it will be at some point. Some Some closing will happen after, like, you know, Portugal approves the Amazon <laughs> stuff or something. And uh, yeah, yeah so the news was just, Paraguay. Well, I thought even like kind of the way it's positioned here. So Cisco, I thought this headline is kind of interesting. You know, Cisco acquires cybersecurity company Splunk in cash deal worth 28 billion. So one, I think it's always interesting. It's like, listen, I know Splunk has positioned, repositioned itself a million different times. At the end of the day, I just it's still just log files. I know you can put anything in front of Splunk, but in the end, it's just they're really, really good at parsing log files, finding things in log files, and and you can identify things in log files for millions of reasons: systems management, systems monitoring, observability, cybersecurity. The list goes on and on. So, this has been one of these companies. I think is is kind of interesting, and um, it felt like it was on for sale for a long time, right? There was like kind of like. A speculation that Splunk was going to be bought for, I don't know, probably the last couple of years on and off. And mm-hmm. so I guess in the end, right, it kind of comes back to our, you know, public uh, markets mindset that, you know, that that company just ultimately felt like it just got to a point it just could no longer, you know, if you will, grow at a rate that people were excited about. Like, you know, I guess in yeah. the time Splunk has been around, of course, you know, we always have to point out Datadog. You know, Datadog is the the company that sort of everyone gets compared to and is probably forcing so many of these companies to get sold off. You know, Datadog went from basically zero to like whatever it is today, like a $30, $40 billion company. So in the end, it, it does feel like this maybe relieves the uh, strategy tax from Splunk. They don't have to kind of keep telling a new story. I mean, to me, I, I think of this as like, you know, Cisco is one of the private equity firms that is a public company, right? That, you know, I think mm, IBM is yeah. the other and there's several others. And it's just like, yeah, they'll just slot this into their deals and it'll, you know, sell. I think this will be, you know, probably lots of overlap customers, lots of overlap type of uh, technologies. But in the end, right, I think it's just going to be one of these things where we'll just look back in five years and it's like, oh, yeah, Cisco is Splunk and they're just sort of like thrown off a lot of cash. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I, uh, I haven't followed Splunk or the space as closely as I used to. At least I think I used to follow it closely. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but like it does. I mean, I know Splunk has like acquired a few things here and there, but it's kind of like they're more or less like a single product company, right? Like they don't yeah. really. And, you know, kind of like service now, like I, I'm back in the big data days and stuff like Splunk tried to grow into the like, what if we applied this IT thing? to the business, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how service now has gone with that, but like, you know, what we, we could apply this there, but you know, the other angle is like, I mean, I think, I think we've probably discussed this before, but you know, we have, we have the general theory uh, here on software defined talk of the, uh, the systems management thing, which is like, there's basically like five people alive and they're the ones who found all the systems. Management companies. <laughs> yep. so like they start one, it gets bought. They, after two to three years, they leave and they I form know. another one. And then there you go. And I mean, obviously that's more or less a joke. There's more than five. 
maybe 10. And uh, like, but I think the other thing that you, that I think this is true of most systems management companies is if you do not expand out beyond your initial product, I, no one knows how long the clock is running, but there's a clock running for you being acquired because you can't like, I mean, maybe this is the new benchmark of the clock. I don't know how old, you know, it's, it's some, some formula based on growth and age as a company, or maybe it's just growth. I don't know, but it's sort of like somehow you're going to hit a ceiling of like, we just can't get enough revenue year over year to like meet the expectations of the market. And so therefore either you have to uh, like actually add on new products that are beyond that first product that you had. I mean, they can be highly adjacent or you have to be acquired by some other company who can therefore then do that, right? Therefore they have a portfolio and everything's fine. Um, yeah, and just uh, Splunk was, I just looked it up here, was acquired in 2003. So let's just call it 20 years. So basically that was a 20 year lifespan from kind of start to finish, um, which which makes sense. And I do, I think, I mean, to your kind of broader point, it's sort of like, and I guess you can kind of just see this with, you know, I think, what was the other one, Nick? We talked about New Relic and uh, Sumo Logic. They both got bought by private equity firms. And I, I think maybe the simplest way is just sort of like, when you lose kind of this hyper growth mode, right? And you sort of settle into just being, a company that can throw off a lot of cash with uh, good software margins, then that's the point where it seems like private equity or strategic buyers show up because they they really value that predictable earnings more so than the public right. market, which is interested in like, for now, like I've, I've referenced them many times, Datadog and whoever else you think the high growth companies are. So it just comes down to, it's like it's that that money is worth more to private equity and strategic buyers than it than the public uh, investors seeing it, which I guess makes sense. But it's also one of those things too that it's sort of like for this and I, you know, a bunch of people in this offer time talk Slack were talking this week about you know how much uh, Splunk customers would be trying to use like their Cisco uh, discounting rules on <laughs> right. Splunk. So Splunk has like forever been um, positioned as like a very expensive product, right? That you know, I think it's like because they charged by like, I think it's like, you know, the terabyte, whatever it was, right? And it had this kind of usage thing. It was really, you know, you always hear people complaining about how expensive it is, but they always paid the bill. So that's sort of like they were signing, they were buying a product they like. Um, So that's kind of the other question is like, if you put it inside Cisco and you wrap it up in ELAs, does that make it a little bit easier to swallow and sell Mm -hmm. for end customers? And is that what Cisco uh, is ultimately wants to do with that? Because I don't know. I mean, the, I don't know. what, What is your take? I was about to say, Cisco's acquisitions, like, I don't know, the success of these, like, I was about to say the, the record's a little spotty, but I guess it's sort of like, they're just, they do seem to throw off cash, but they don't fundamentally change Cisco is I guess the way I think of it is, right? Like okay. when I look at it, like App Dynamics is like, fine. I think it's doing well. I wouldn't say it's significantly better that it's owned by Cisco, but it's, it's not all that worse. It's just sort of a nice place for it to live. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you would think that ostensibly, you know, on this podcast where we talk about these kind of things, I I would I would have knowledge, but like, I don't really even know like how Cisco has been doing. So I'm looking that up as I'm talking now, and uh, yeah, I mean, I like I like your idea. Well, two, uh, one, in my mind, the idea of what Cisco is hasn't really changed. Like, you know, they tried to get into OpenStack and doing things and. They've tried this, but it's like mm, it's still just like networking stuff, and and then I think I think what does what has changed is like your 
and they've kind of been like this for a long time, but like, as, as you were saying, um, they just sort of like add new products to their portfolio. And then there's a, there's a good Forrester write up of like, you know, she goes over like what Cisco should do basically. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she kind of emphasizes that like, as with app dynamics, and I think she said with thousand eyes that like, yeah, if you just keep these as separate brands and don't integrate them into like Cisco, then it's probably going to be good and just do that. Right. Which is like, that kind of le lends to your like public private, private equity sort of situation is like, what you're doing is you're building out a portfolio of companies that kind of all you're being like Berkshire Hathaway of of the tech world, right? Like you've got this portfolio of companies that all bubbles up to one stock and yeah. it's just kind of representative in there, which is great. Like depending on how you do reporting, like, you know, infamously uh, depending on what, year what whatever inning we're in whatever minute of the first inning we're in with public cloud <laughs> the true. various the various public cloud companies <laughs> don't break out their public cloud revenue or costs yep. right like or they add in advertising or you know like they add in other stuff to kind of like make it impossible yeah, it to bigger, precisely right, yeah. tell right mm -hmm. and so that's like you know that's one of the big um strategies that you have in private equity is that you don't have other people poking their nose into your finances. So in theory, in private equity, you could say like, oh yeah, this one loses a, a lot of money and this one makes a lot of money. And so we're just moving the cash over there. I mean, I mean, you know, you could do whatever, but you don't have the scrutiny of like, you know, uh, Hey, uh, this is, uh, this is, uh, Jerry, uh, Bo from uh, Deutsche Bank. Uh, just one quick question uh, here. And, you know, it'd be like, you know, you, you're running this business over here that's consuming 20% of your revenue. For my, by my calculations, if you just eliminated that, you could add like, you know, five basis points for a dividend to pay out. So why are you, uh, don't you have a responsibility to maximize shareholder returns? Like, you know, that, that kind of nonsense, like you have people telling you how to run your business. But in theory, if you can kind of hide it in the cover of all this other stuff, you could actually invest in innovation and doing things or just have a lifestyle business unit. Right. But you do kind of like, I think there's kind of an interesting market cap kind of level. So I was just looking at, so Cisco's worth 214 billion today. Uh, IBM's worth $130 billion. So it's sort of like if you're a company and your market caps over a hundred billion, right. And there's very, there's very few companies that can buy the whole thing. Right. And then there are companies like Splunk that are in this, like, let's say, you know, tens of billions, right? And it's like, so if you're like Cisco or your IBM or any of these companies there, it's like, you kind of have a couple options. You either can say, you can start to like divide yourself up, right? And be like, well, really the networking business makes all this money. So we should just sort of like, if you will strip everything out, just run the networking business and you become like a private equity firm yourself, right? So that's option one. Or option two is what you're saying is so you sort of become this portfolio enterprise company that's sort of like when I see an asset that's in the, you know, $30 billion range or $50 billion range that's throwing off good cash flow that maybe I can implement some optimizations for. Uh, right. Oracle's probably been the most um, popular company to do this over the years, right? We're going to buy that and that's how we're going to juice our earnings, right? And so, and then you, and then you kind of have the next tier, right? Which is the trillion dollar companies, which is like a handful of them that are sort of at this level playing a whole nother game, right? They sort of can do, you know, like Amazon, buy a grocery store, whatever, right? They can kind of do whatever they want. So when you're in that kind of, a, I don't know, what do you call it? The middle age, the middle, the middle um, you know, me mega cap, if you will, the small mega cap. Middle mega cap. Um, 
you know, that's really where you got to do something. Right. And I think this is like, we, we sometimes talks about, um, by like Splunk in this case being bought, like they're relieved of the strategy tax, right? They're not going to be asked specifically. Right. It's not going to be earnings call where the CEO has to come up with a cybersecurity strategy. And probably they were working on an AI strategy oh, no that they doubt. were going to present, right? That kind of goes away. Now that goes to the Cisco level. The Cisco people have to come up with that. And Splunk can just be one box on the slide. And they'll probably say something like, with Splunk's new information combined with our network analysis information, we are well positioned to create the next generation AI, machine learning, security network thing, right? That does X. And that's probably going to be there. So Cisco kind of inherits, inherits that large strategy tax. So, you know, I don't know. It's maybe like the, the circle of life we were talking about before in the other show. It's just sort of like, this is how it goes. And you know, I don't know. I, at the end, it seems like a good place for Splunk. It doesn't, I don't know. I wouldn't say there's like a winner or a loser here. It's like, it seems like a good place for Splunk. Hopefully the customers will be able to get better discounts. Hopefully Splunk will get the resources it needs to continue to build a good product. And, you know, we'll look back on like, you know, the kind of the app D acquisition and be like, yeah, good place. Like WebEx is the other one, right? People forget like WebEx is owned by Cisco. Probably not WebEx, probably not the favorite of this audience, but like, it seems to like, I still see it used for webinars. I still see it, um, mm-hmm. you know, pop up now and again. And I bet you it's just a solid business that throws off a ton of cash. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, there's two more things for that topic. One is like, I, I never became, I remember that the corporate strategy people would always like, you know, I, I would go over all of my my fun little stuff and they would like lean back in their chairs and stare at me and then school me about finance. <laughs> and like, there's there's like another, there's another aspect of all of this that I, I'm, I have a total blind spot of, of like, of like when your method of payment is cheap. And so like, usually you know, even, even I, but, you know, it's easy just to think about terms in, in acquisitions in terms of like retail, just paying all cash for something. Right. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. to think about in terms, you could even think about it in terms of like getting a loan and then like, you know, paying off the interest on that loan. Right. Which is a little more complicated, right? Like, because it might be really cheap to get a loan so you can do more acquisitions, especially if you have like uh, co- good collateral in yourself to like get more favorable rates. But then there's a whole other weird area that I, I remember you, I would see the corporate strategy people do, which is just like, I mean, I guess you could call it financial engineering, but it was more like Excel magic. And, and like, this is an exaggeration to make a point, but it would be like, hey, check out this spreadsheet, right? Like if, we, if we make a $20 billion acquisition for a company that meets this profile of financials, and then we add that to our financials, Regardless of anything, there's a high probability that our share price will go up 20% over the next three years. Yep. And it, it's just like, because they're going to have more revenue? And it's like, no, no. This is when they lean back in the chair and they just shake their head. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. That's not how things work, right? So, <laughs> you know, I never know how to do that kind of analysis. But I always have that in the back of my mind of like, is there a, is there some crazy spreadsheet shit going on here? Like that, that it means that like, and then therefore the EV goes up this level and then like the executives make $5 million more each year for the next 10 years. Like, but I think, I mean, to kind of put like some, um, I don't know, more clarity on that. Like there is at the end of the day, all these investment banks, the finance groups, right? Like we don't talk about it as much. I and mean, we've had a couple of venture capitalists on, but all the investment banks have models for these companies, right? And they basically, mm-hmm. what it comes down to is how do they value a dollar of revenue, 
And so if the finance group, in this case, Cisco, or the people that you were used to work with in your previous job, they have a better sense of like, what are those models look like, right? So they know if I take X amount of money and I put it into this company that they're going to characterize it uh, this way in the financial model. And therefore it's going to kick out a different, you know, kind of valuation for the company. And it makes sense, right? I mean, I think we tend to like look at that and almost kind of scoff at it because it's like none of it's real, you know, it's just all just, you know, it's right. like it, no products actually change, but at the macro level, this is how that investment community is thinking. They're just like, oh, well, this, this is now a dollar of cybersecurity revenue, right? Like and at the end of the day, we're just like, this is log file. This is like parsing log files, no matter what you say. And they're like, no, no, this is a dollar of cybersecurity revenue. And that dollar translates into like $3 of market cap or whatever, that's right. right? That's right. And that's right. where like, people like, justify those uh, acquisitions. Like, like and, and Cisco, I mean, is a hardware company. So they, you know, when I was at Dell, we would think like this as well. And other companies is like the, the dollar you make from software is much different than the dollar you make from hardware. And it has that effect because the profit, it, it's just all different. And so you throw yeah. that into the mix and like your financials change around a lot. And, you know, then the second thing I was going to add, which we've kind of hit on, but I think it is, I mean, you know, it's, it's relevant to all of us and, and, and me over the past year and, and, and the next like month or so is like, you do have to like acquisition acquisitive companies are always circling on, on these other companies with the models that they have. Like, I remember when I would do acquisitions, like it took me a while to realize that like, Oh, you should just always be talking with companies, even if you don't think you'll ever acquire them. Like just because you always want to get an idea of like, at some point, you know, what if, uh, what if their house burns down and they're really cheap and I could go buy them in, in, in Dungeons and Dragons, we would call this an opportunity attack. And so like, you know, you get an opportunity attack if someone retreats and uh, they don't they don't use the disengage uh, action uh, and then you get a free attack on them. And so similarly, you can have opportunity acquisitions where you just like every day, the junior corporate strategy people come in and update the models and you're like, boom, look at this one. Like it's yeah. uh, it's cheap enough that it fits into the uh, the models here. Now, I don't think any of that really applies in this situation, although I don't really know. I'm not. I, but it's just like. uh that's definitely something going on with, uh, with acquisition stuff, which also to your point of Datadog and stuff, like, I guess, uh, I guess you could say that they're, they're like, we're, we're in like a, a couple year market window closing on this generation of, uh, of monitoring companies, which then, you know, you have to, I, again, I don't know the space as well as, as, as I used to, but I guess the big question you would have is like, so is Honeycomb, which side of the window is Honeycomb on? Like, are they, part of like the Datadog, Splunk, like new relic, what do you call it? A cadre? Cohort. Mm -hmm. a, a, uh, a cohort, and therefore they will be acquired with, you know, whatever, 70% accurate confidence. Or are they part of the post-Datadog cohort? So therefore we have to like, they're in a different sheet in my spreadsheet from, from the, this, this evaluation over here, which... Again, I don't really know, but there's... Yeah, well, I think that... I don't think there's like a right or wrong answer there. I think it just depends on who you talk to and how they want to position themselves. But I, I don't know. I would say they are part of the, you know, the bedrock of the observability, you know, the mm -hmm. rise of observability. That seems to be kind of their thing. So I would align them more with like... I think they themselves are like, hey, we're the next Datadog or we're competing with Datadog because that's sort of okay. the most favorable analysis right now. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how they position themselves. So it's sort of like if you were... Uh, updating your model if you were the junior analyst you'd say like hey we got to really get an observability because this is going to be huge and you know the the leader that's left out there for us to buy 
is honeycomb, right? That's I think that's yeah, how. Yeah. And and then you have to do an analysis of if if it's too late to buy them, right? Because right. you have you have. I mean, as always, it's a smooth curve. But if you're looking at acquiring companies, you either want to buy it right before it's a big deal, or when it's become old, because yeah, then it's then, probably then you, you know if it's not too late, it's probably getting there, right? And I think so. I don't I don't know. It'd be one of those things. They probably honeycomb. My guess is they they still think they have a lot to of growth and observability. So we probably it probably has to kind of get to the point where everyone's like, oh, observability. Yeah, we know about that. Like, yeah, yeah, we yes. get like if you kind of feel like it's already kind of been here, done that then it's old. If you feel like it's still like it's new and strategic. So I don't know. They're kind of hovering. I, I don't know, maybe somewhere in the middle. So maybe it is kind of too late to your point. They're going to have to go to loan, see how big they can get. And then maybe they take a splunk outcome in you know 15 years. Maybe, maybe if someone is successful, whatever they would call it, if they do AI ops 2.0, yeah. right? if you're just like, and, and the subtitle would be like for real this time, uh, yeah. like maybe that will, that will like in, in olden, the observability cohort. And then that creates a new co- cohort where all the interest is in AI ops 2.0. And so the observability cohort either has to like jump over, jump through that window to still be in there, or they become the future uh, acquisitions for the, you know, the future splunks. Yeah, that. no, I like that. I think you're right. They either have to transition to the new, new thing, the AI thing, or they have to get bought. That's one or the other, right? Cause yeah. something's going to happen there. And and again, this is all from the perspective of the corporate strategy people who are like, I really don't care what they actually do. I, I care which sheet. <laughs> yeah, no, at the end of the day, we just know like everyone's just reading log files in the same performance data that's been around for the last, I don't know, 30 to 50 years, depending on how you count it. So yeah, we know in the end, the data is all the same. It's just like the story on top of it is all that changes. So, okay. So then, so then kind of in a related area, like the whole area of, uh, we got the, we got the AI stuff, Brandon. I don't know if you've you've heard about this, but there's been a, a couple of things I think I think I could use your take on. One, like it looks like Amazon is dumping a ton of cash into this company Anthropic, which I don't really know anything about. But I assume if Amazon's dumping four billion of or I'm sorry, it's almost like they're putting one I think it's one point three billion investing right now mm-hmm. with the option to so the four billion in it. Yep. Yeah, and and I assume that's like a you know an open AI competitor or or, or whatever. Yep, or I think that's exactly be. right. Yep. And and then you know the other thing scurrying around is that you know I'm it seems like the the model makers, all those people we were we were cosplaying earlier just now, <laughs> like it seems like they're struggling with a way to like put a model around the AI space. And 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 I don't know if they know they're struggling, but I think what they're currently dealing with is like how many GPUs are out there and how much like what is it required to get them? And then it's almost like once you have a solid number, then you can actually start doing like if your model is just all letters and there's no numbers, you can't really do anything. <laughs> but like once you have one number, that's like a real number, you can start modeling things out. And I feel like I haven't really thought about this until I started talking about it, but I feel like no one knows how to model the new AI landscape. And so like people are trying to figure out a way to model it so they can like make investment decisions. And currently the only thing you can really model off of, I guess, is GPUs and the power they consume. Yeah. So I think we should maybe take them like one by one here. So first, uh, AWS, as you mentioned, has agreed to uh, invest 1.25 billion in Anthropic, which already has taken 300 million from Google. 
And then uh, as part of that, AWS essentially has the option to invest up to, to $4 billion. And so they're behind the scenes. Um, Anthropic's model is Claude, which is just sort of like that's their chat GPT, which, again, of course, they would say is a lot better. Um, but so we're oversimplifying it. So, one, this just seems sort of like, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the show. It seemed like AWS, I think they were caught flat-footed a little bit, like, you know, sort of the chat GPT and Microsoft jumped on that. So it sounds like Anthropic is the best alternative that's out there, at least I think through mm-hmm. AWS's analysis. So they've essentially, you know, both invested and created like what, you know, I think Matt Levine would call like a call option. It's like, well, if it's going really, really well, after we give you this 1.25 billion and it looks like you're creating even more value, we're just going to basically give you the extra 3.5 or whatever that comes out, 3.75. Um, and not only will that be um, good for us, it will actually give us uh, a bigger stake in you at a lower prop uh, uh, price. So it all makes sense, right? So it's sort of like, you know, we talked about kind of the, the if you will, the small mega caps. And now here are the true mega, mega caps. And so it's like $4 billion total for Am- Amazon at this point not a big deal. So it sort of like just protects them. So I think it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty, pretty, pretty smart. So going forward though, and this is the part that you are getting at is that we are starting to see the VCs try to try to come up with a model. And I think, you know, Brian Gracely did a really good job on the recent Cloudcast talking a little bit about this, about how, you know, VCs sort of get to the point where uh, when they see a lot of their money going to service providers, or in this case, hardware vendors, they start to, you know, if you will, get a little bit concerned because they, they've seen this before, right? It used to be that, as Brian kind of alluded to, that uh, startups would just buy a bunch of uh, software from Oracle and Cisco and they'd spend all this VC money there. So it didn't really create any yeah. value. It just kind of passed through to these enterprise vendors. And so I think uh, what you're seeing is the VCs coming out and saying, listen, hey, we're about to spend, you know, whatever, $200 billion on GPUs. And the VCs are a lot of the people that are providing a lot of the cash to do this. And I think they're rightfully kind of asking the question like, well, we kind of know that if you're going to spend all this money, someone's got to make money and where's that money going to come from? And so I think it's always funny because it's like, this is the classic of you've ever worked in enterprises, maybe enterprise um, software, like maybe your boss or your executive has asked you this question. It's like, well, uh, isn't that why we hired you? That's kind of the venture capitalist answer to this question. It's like, <laughs> like, didn't we hire you because you said you had these special skills to go identify the most promising opportunities and where we should spend uh-huh. all this money? And I think at least a couple of these links, it, you know, the venture capitalists kind of throwing up their hands like, hey, we're about to spend $200 billion on GPUs. And that's a lot of money. Like, does anyone know where the actual profits are going to come from? And if so, could you please call us? And it's like, well, that's the game, right? That's why, you know, everybody's out here trying to do something, which which I think is just kind of funny, right? It's just the whole thing is kind of hilarious to me. It's like when someone's just like, wait a minute, I, I just like, I need help with my project. It's like, no, you signed up for the hard part. So you have to do it is my thoughts. Now, now, you know, since you in, invoked Matt Levine, like, you know, his his number one rule is everything is securities fraud. Like, would it be security fraud if those those VCs did dump 200 billion into GPUs and then they took most of the rest of their cash and just bought NVIDIA and AMD, AMD shares? Like, or is that just sort of like, no, that's how capitalism works? Yeah, well, it's, I think that's you know, called hedging. I yeah, I know. I mean, that's called the hedge fund, right? So it'd just be a different financial vehicle. But that's definitely one way to play it, right? One way to play it would just be like, we're just going to buy NVIDIA because we have no idea. But of course, like NVIDIA is like everyone is doing that. Hence, that's why NVIDIA has gone from like overnight, it went from like 
a $600 million company to a trillion dollar company, like in the blink of an eye. So like, there's no, like saying NVIDIA is where you should invest is just like saying, you know, you should breathe air at this point. Like nobody, mm-hmm. like everyone is on that. Well, so I, if, I guess, I guess that's why it would be next? a hedge is like, it wouldn't be, you're looking to make money. You're just looking to minimize yeah. losses. Track, yeah. Track the, the performance. Well, I think, you know, I think the part that is true, I mean, that we can look within this and it's again, kind of, you know, you always want to ask the VCs like the question, what the question is like, well, listen, you know, we all know almost surely we're over investing in GPUs right now. Like it's almost, I mean, you have to say it's almost, and it's kind of like what Brian was saying on the cloudcast. It's like, there was the point where like everyone wanted fiber. There was like all this like dark mm-hmm. fiber was created and it was like, well, listen, like we just, there's too much of it, right? Like we know it's happening, but what we don't know, and this is why if you're a venture capitalist, you're paid to figure this out. It's like, there will be some huge winners. Like I have no, like, who knows? It may, it looks like it's Anthropic right now, right? It looks like it's ChatGPT, but you know, just like it, maybe at one point it was Bird Scooters, right? And Bird Scooters, I think raised $2.6 billion. I, look, I saw the other day, the market cap is 15 million now. It's like, well, obviously that was just a miss. Like it just didn't work out. And so kind of back to the point here is just sort of like, well, you know, somebody has to figure this out. So there's no question we're over-investing, but ultimately picking the winners and a few people will do it is what everyone's trying to do. And it's almost, and I think this is where like no one, you know, wants to say this. It's sort of like, it's almost impossible, right? Like, I mean, the person that does it will write a book and we'll talk about it and be like, wow, that's incredible. They figured it out. But there's going to be whatever, another hundred billion completely wasted in like the bird type outcomes where it's just like, yeah, turns out we don't need 50 different models, right? It turns out Anthropic and ChatGPT, that's all we needed. Those two are good enough or something else will happen, right? And it'll be like, you don't need all this GPU capacity. So when that will happen, and this is the hard, the hard problem, like, you know, as a venture capitalist, you got to answer the question of like, when do you think it will bottom out, right? Who are the winners, Right. And then can you actually put money in them? And that's like a super hard problem right now. So I guess I'm sim- sympathetic, but at the same time, I'm like, well, that's what the money's for, right? That's, yeah, that's, that's, why, that's you, why we that's hired you. you. Job, right? That's why we hired you. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the other thing, which is like, it's it's good to keep in mind for as much like glowing praise is like, you know, this whole AI thing still hasn't proven that it's as magical as people say. Like, you know, going back to it, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons with the AI and it's not that good. <laughs> Like it's, it's like, you know, it's better than staring at a wall, but it's still like a human is much better at playing, you know, being a dungeon master than the, uh, the AI. And like, I don't know, but we'll see. So there is a big assumption that like, it actually will be magical. And, uh, you know, and, and I bring that up because of course, like if you were to look at like blockchain and all of that, and Bitcoin and stuff, that was assumed to be magical. And then just like overnight, it was like, nope, not magical. So like, that uh, there's also that risk uh, hanging around there. Well, speaking of things that are magical, you came up with a magical phrase for all this that I just want to call out, Brandon, which is like (laughs) whenever there's like a bunch of slides with charts drawn from different sources. And I think, tell me, I'm going to add this on to your, your, uh, your category here. I think the magic of this collection of charts is that you've had someone go through, and even though they're from completely different data sources and they might be different, You've had them put them all in the same style in Excel oh, and PowerPoint. Yeah. So it looks like they're of all an original, um, they're single source slides, that it all is kind of like the same sort of data. But then you go look at the real little footnotes and you see they're just like, it's just a collage of data from everywhere. And if you were to see, this is some good like slide uh, 
tips for you. Whenever you see a bunch of charts in a slide deck and they're obviously just screen captures from a different bunch of different places, you're like, yeah, this is just a bunch of shit you found on the internet, right? <laughs> Whereas if you make the styles all look the same, it's yeah. you can, you know, as I'm going over, you can still have that reaction, but it takes some extra effort. I can't think of the Dungeons and Dragons equivalent, but like, you know, you're, you're, you're using, in, you're using like the, uh, I think it's the change appearance spell, which is easy to deceive if, if you know to look under. It's different than like an actual polymorphic spell. Anyways, uh, but you came up with the idea. We should call this the Slides Benedict, named after Benedict Evans, who is, I think, the, the successor of Mary Meeker when it comes to doing like the 100 page like chart deck. And uh, of course, that's a pun which is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think it's worth, you know, we, we spent a few minutes on it and I think we see this a lot with venture capitalists, but I mean, to some degree, you know, you talked about tech marketing in your newsletter this week. So maybe it's kind of all the same. It's sort of like, like what, it's always just worth like what's going on behind the scenes. And like, as we kind of already covered on this, it's sort of like financial analysts want to build models and want to look at macro trends. So as soon as they get a number, like number of GPUs sold, right? They're off to the races. There's a base number they can begin with and they can yep. start to build assumptions in an Excel spreadsheet. And they create these great pitch decks, which is where it kind of was coming with Slides Benedict. And it's like, but the, the whole idea of it is at the end, it is very kind of hollow because they're kind of fun to look at, right? And they have all this macro level information like Benedict Evans used to do all this stuff about mobile, right? It was like cool to look at, like mobile's yeah, doing great. this and this is happening and this is happening. But at the end, like when you really get down to it at the end, all they're doing is like asking that same question we kind of referring to before. They're like, wow, there's this huge market opportunity. Like who's going to make money? You know what I mean? Which is like the only question. The only yeah. question we care about is like, who's going to make money and where's it coming from? And all of these presentations are built so beautifully but they just, at the end, they don't have any answer. And that all it is for them is sort of, if you will, content marketing for them to go out to founders, right? It sort of like makes them look smart. It, and, and they are smart. I mean, I don't want to say like, it, it doesn't mean that they're stupid. It's sort of like, they've done a lot of critical thinking. They've almost like, if you will, they've done like a great research paper or a dissertation on this market, but it's all based on known facts and it's known information. And many of these people are like really good at like, you know, building information that way, but it doesn't get to the heart of the real problem of like, man, we got to figure out where the next companies are coming from, which is like the only question, which I just keep saying, which I think is just kind of funny. Yeah, so yeah. In the end, the VCs, right? Like they're just really good at packaging themselves as, as knowing a lot about like macro trends, but having really no idea where the new thing is going to come from. And, and if they knew that they wouldn't be VCs, they would just go build that thing. Right. Which is like yeah. so funny to me. Yeah, yeah, no, that is, uh, that is, uh, you know, you know, like, 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 like to cap that off. I think, I think you're making me think one of the, the things about Slides Benedict, as it were, is like one of the primary audiences for that is probably what do you call them, the LPs, the limited partners, which is to say, the people who give the VCs money, right? Like, right, and and like, so that is what you, I mean, because basically, my understanding of why, if you are like, you know the United Dockhands Union of the West and you right. would like dump like a billion dollars of your pension fund or whatever. I, I don't know. You know, you would dump like 2% of your pension fund into a, a five-year like VC thing is like, you know, you might lose the money, but you might make a shit ton of money. So right. like it's, it's, it's uh, uh, diversifying your investments. And really like you want to see a slides Benedict that's like, I don't know what y'all are going to be doing. Cause of course you're going to talk like that. They must be based in Houston. Uh, but like, 
what I want to know is that you got a lot of opportunity ahead of you. And so like, give me some slides, Benedict, where your market opportunity is crazy. And then you go do whatever it is you pinheaded people do and, uh, you know, figure that out. And so like, probably a lot of those, like, whether it's the Meeker stuff or the slides, Benedict, it's just like, I don't know, that's a big market. We should dump some money in it. And, and like, which is right. Which and is I think that combined good. with it's packaged in like a very, in a way that looks extremely, uh, both academic, intelligent, and well-prepared, right? This is, gets back to the whole idea. Like, why do all these financial analysts spend like two years of their life, like in working to uh, 150 hours a week building pitch decks? Because when you're in the room and like, someone's like, look at this pitch deck, what you were saying before, you're like, wow, all these slides are formatted perfectly. And like, they got the Mecco chart. And they got all these charts in here and like, yeah. look at all this stuff. Like this group of people really knows this market. Of course we would invest our money with them because they are so intelligent and they know it. But like when you dig behind the scenes, you're like, ah, actually this is just like really, really good PowerPoint. And again, like they, and I think this is, and I, it's not even so much a criticism, just a reality. It's like at the end, they don't have the answer either, right? They're just trying to convince people, both the LPs to give them money and the founders with the quote unquote best ideas to come to them. And that's all those decks are trying to do, but they don't have the VCs themselves don't have any real knowledge of it. And then they'll, but they'll kind of say like, we see a lot, we do a lot of pattern matching and they kind of give a bunch of examples like that. But at the end of the day, they don't, they don't really know. Right. I mean, it can kind of come from anywhere. And that's, and that's what we've seen over and over. Like the new big startups just come out of left field and nobody sees it coming and no one can predict it like in a way that's sustainable. So I, you know, so that's why I think it's like, yeah, slides Benedict, you know, that's what you're looking at there. Well, you know, definitely when I see a bar chart and they, they have the ability to put those little lines between the two bar charts and they tell mm -hmm. you the difference between them. I'm like, give them $200 million. <laughs> like that's, that's, uh, that's right. those are the that's winners. Right. Well, speaking of giving people $200 million, do we have any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon? Uh, let's see a few things. So I sent some stickers to Lee in Wisconsin. Uh, so I appreciate Lee um, emailing in. If you'd like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And also, we don't have to go into it too much, Cote. Uh, just from reading the Software Defined Talk Slack, uh, everyone seems to hate the new Slack UI. I've mm. not, I guess the Software Defined Talk Slack, for whatever reason, I guess we're on the back burner. We're on the free plan. We've not been officially converted over, so I still have access to the old UI. But everyone says uh, they don't like it. So I'd just say Brett uh, from Slack, he gave a pro tip. He said it was uh, command, uh, for those on the Mac, either, uh, command shift S or I guess Windows, it's Control-Shift-S. Uh, when you get the new Slack design, uh, that will give you your community sidebar back. So I don't know. Oh, I haven't yeah. actually had to do that yet, but uh, it seems, you know, it's always best to let like these new UIs like settle down for a little bit before anyone makes any uh, final decision. But I would say it's, the, if you will, if this was like a, a political candidate, we'd say this UI uh, redesign has high negatives. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's it's maybe it's reminiscent of when they introduced the ribbon in office, which which was like that was a multi year freak out, and nowadays most people probably have no idea what I'm talking about. It's, <laughs> like it's ribbon white. Yeah, yeah. I I remember who was it? It was Amy Wall. We were at a at a Microsoft Build conference, maybe in San Diego. And, you know, she Amy Wall of Wall and Associates. Yeah, uh, PR right? PR. No, 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 no. That, that's she's a she's a veteran industry analyst. Oh, no, sorry, not, I, not my PR. apologies. Unless I'm getting it wrong, like she she went. This is right before they they were going to uh, GA the ribbon, and she was going on and on about how they need to put a lot of training in place to retrain all these you know millions of people 
on the uh, the office ribbon, which um, that probably that that uh, I don't know, but it worked out. It's it's a uh, uh, you know when I did see that key combination, I was like, this is one of the many fringe benefits of joining the software defined talk Slack, <laughs> is that people will. They will feel compelled to, to tell you how to make your life better if there's yeah. simple key combinations you can press and they'll, they'll share this knowledge. Well, there's several conferences coming up, uh, many of which I'm involved in that I'm going to advertise for. So next week, uh, if you're in Utrecht here in the Netherlands, uh, it's actually sold out so you can't come to it. So maybe I'll see you. Uh, but October 3rd, there's the Enterprise DevOps TechCon. A very long name conference, but that's fine. That's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of cloud native stuff there. And then October 6th, there's uh, Kubernetes Community Days, Texas. I think that's in Dallas. Uh, and it looks like the CFP has closed a while ago, uh, but that's going to be October 6th. And then back here in the Netherlands, you can fly back across the side of the pond, as they say. If you come to Amsterdam on October 9th, I'll be emceeing Spring Tour Amsterdam, which I think there's still... Uh, slots for, but it's totally free. And if you do any spring programming or Kubernetes stuff and you're in the Netherlands area, or you want to have a day trip from Belgium or West Germany, whatever, uh, but you should definitely come to that. It'll be, uh, as I like to say, it's going to be better than working. Uh, so, you know, you might as well do that. And I don't usually re uh, uh, recognize or advertise these or mention them, but I'm putting together a webinar series with one of my coworkers who used to work at uh, Sky, you know, big TV outfit and cable and stuff. And uh, we're doing it. It's going to be broadcast on October 10th, 17th, and 24th. And uh, I'm trying to make it into like a summary of like all the stuff I go on and on about updated. And uh, now I'm a little worried. I need to make, go make all of my uh, my slides Benedict use the same uh, styles in it. So we'll see how that goes. But we had kind of a run through of the first ver uh, part of it today. And I think uh, it was fun. I, I, uh, I figured out some things that I didn't know. And then, of course, KubeCon is coming up November 6th and 9th also. Uh, there's uh, VMware Explorer Barcelona, November 6th and 9th, which it's highly likely I'll be there. I, ha I have two speaking things and I'm supposed to uh, be at the executive event as well. But we'll see what happens if you've been reading the news. And uh, then finally, January 29th, uh, there's that conference in Texas, which we always enjoy and I have yet to go to, but maybe one day. And with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Well, I don't have any uh, phenomenal content to recommend. I've been watching too much American football. Um, but, you know, the new iOS came out and uh, actually my wife got a new phone and things like that. So I would say the most important feature that everyone needs to learn is in the new uh, iOS, I guess, 17, you can make stickers of like any pictures you want. So what I find that everyone in my household likes is you take pictures of your pets and then you just press on, you know, press on their little uh if you will, when they're in the picture and it just, you know, magically photoshops or crops them out. And then you can add that to your sticker pack. And then you can use those in your family chat because that's frankly, that's what all the family wants. Just wants to see your pets in uh, iOS sticker form. So uh, I know they did a lots of other important things, you know, Apple saving the world, but like really stickers of your pets, that's what people want. So everyone do that. Go make a sticker of your pet and send it to your family group chat. I see. I've been wondering what that is. I, I haven't investigated that stuff. It's very no, good. I, very simple. You just literally tap on, in this case, my dog, and it just like, boom, figures it out. It's like huh. the greatest cropping tool uh, known to man. It's just like, oh, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> that's what the that $200 billion in AI is going to do for us. Like, <laughs> goddamn good really picture of again, Fluffy. Like, that's the answer. We should, we should be like, we figured it out. It's making <laughs> cropping pets and turning it into stickers. That's what people want. And that's going to be worth billions. 
yeah. Arguably, the answer to that has been proven several times. But yeah, well, my recommendation also related to that. I haven't I haven't been able to update my uh, my my daily laptop because, of course, it's corporate controlled uh, to make sure that, you know, our world is secure. Um, but on my personal devices, I updated and I've been using this will this will this will shock you, Brandon. I'm considering using the notes app again. <laughs> oh gosh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Did they add anything? Did, I don't think they have the there, there's, there, right? there's a few things that have been added. Uh-huh. One, you can now add links to other notes. Yeah. Yeah. So so that was a major problem, right? I mean, okay. you know, a, a major thing. Yep. Now, two, you'll be happy to know the following. Uh, I've been well, I did buy a new a new iPad. You know, I got I got an iPad mini here because why nice. not? Uh-huh. And uh, so I've been, you know, of course, you buy a new gad piece of hardware, you want to use the software that comes with it. And so, you know, I loaded up the new OS, I got the new, ver- there's a good ver- new version of GoodNotes out, which listeners will remember, GoodNotes writes really well, but it also allows me to have custom backgrounds so I can use this very old picture of uh, graph paper that I like. Mm-hmm. However, GoodNotes 6, it just keeps not writing well. It'll, like I'll be writing and it'll just screw up. And so I've all, I, my, my finger's about to click the bozo bit on it and never look at it again. Uh, really? Okay. And you're I, gonna, I don't know. And you're going to the defaults? I can't imagine. And, and so, however, in, in Notes app, you know, you can still write with a pencil, obviously. And it's just, it's perfect, right? Like you can highlight things and it has really good OCR. Is that what it is? Like if you highlight your handwriting, yeah. it actually has lots of great features. It works yeah. really well and things like that. You still cannot put your own backgrounds in there. And I also do not like the fact that you can't type text on top of what you've written and vice versa. Like those are like separate blocks in the app, which drives me fucking crazy that you can't mm-hmm. just like do that, but whatever. Uh, and so like, I don't know, I, I've been using it because I think I even, I go through this every time I switch back to using notes. It's like, I always go back to, I go between bear and notes and I want to use bear because it has markdown, right? And you want to use markdown, but why do I want to use markdown? Well, I want to use markdown so that I have plain files but Bear doesn't have plain files. It has its own proprietary database. Well, at least I could copy, I could export Markdown. Unlike, I, I can't, you can't export shit from notes, like I guess plain text and PDFs and stuff. And then I think, so when do I export Markdown from Bear? Never. So then here we are, right? And, and I, I had held out what brought me over to using Bear at some point was like I'd been using the alpha and you could act it actually had pretty good like Apple pencil support and it was just kind of like done natively in there but then that didn't really translate into the actual GA version of the software so now it's just bare and now that you can link between notes I think it's fine and then you get you get all the powers this is like D&D stuff again you get all the powers of the defaults lifestyle right I can go up to my iPad I can just double tap the pencil on it and I have a note. Oh, I like it. I like it. I know, I'm interested. I, so we should set the let's see. Today is uh, Wednesday. What is it? Yeah. It's November 27th. Like three, everyone, three uh, everyone home, the over under will say six months. So we'll give it, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to make this a new year. We'll check in at uh, January 1 uh-huh. around then. We'll check in with Cote. Uh, if you believe uh, Cote will still could be continuing using that notes app, the default notes app by January 1, you should join the software to find talk chat. That's what you need to do. And if you don't believe it, you should join the software defined talk yeah. Slack as well. And we'll, we'll maybe we should have a channel where we just sort of like check in week by week. Does Cote miss the graph? Oh, that would be good. Yeah. It would, yeah. uh, would it go there? But I think there's like a holy trinity of like, let's just call it white collar productivity 
desires. And it's sort mm. of, uh, I call it three things. It's uh, making coffee, right? It's yeah. taking notes and it's uh, coming up with some type of to-do list, right? Like these yes. three things kind of, they, it's not just a technology thing. Like if you listen to uh, the, the Gab Fest, that's sort of, uh, that I think some of us like, uh, John Dickerson will talk in, all the time about how he takes notes and he writes them he down. Lo- is, is he still an is, Evernote guy? I yeah, haven't well, he's in like, but he talks about it over and over. So these are the three things. Like if, if the VCs are looking to solve this $200 billion gap, you need to solve these three things. You need to figure out like, there is only one correct way to make coffee, and this is it, right? This is the correct way to take notes, and this is the correct way to do to do. Uh, so because like there probably are collectively like four billion podcast yeah, hours yeah. collectively uh, devoted to these three subjects. So my Absolutely. thing, and I'll just go. I'll give everyone the secret though. Here's how I I've accomplished all of these. One, uh, I don't drink coffee, so therefore I have no need for that. Boom. Two, I generally, honestly, don't take notes. I know. I know this is very like people don't like, I just literally don't take notes uh, or very, very rarely. If I have to write something down, the notes app is more than enough. In fact, I need less text, right? Because it's only going to be, it's only going to be one line at most. And then the third thing that to do, I don't know. The reminders app to me, totally fine. So that's how I've done it. Um, but that requires some sacrifice on the listener's part. You have to give up some things to, yeah, to if yeah. you will. But I feel like when you give it up and you give up the caffeine and you give up the notes i feel i feel totally yeah i mean i I think i think i think that's some good defaults lifestyle thinking right one one by default doesn't need coffee that's a modification that you Mm -hmm. add on in your life yeah yeah so we'll see i mean i think i think i say this often but if apple were to combine their free form app with notes then they would have the perfect tool as because free form has all of the like all of the stuff that i can do in good notes that i want to do in notes but Freeform is like, to its credit, to its name, way too unstructured. And and the way that it handles typing text is awful, right? So anyways, there's, uh, if, if anyone- No, I like it differently. The good news, maybe and this is where we end it for you, is like the good news is that it does seem like there are a ton of Apple employees focused in on these problems because you know freeform probably came out of like why you know you can just see the designers at apple being like we need a nap that like you know this isn't so constrained they're like and what they're are we gonna do use Miro? Come yeah on. and they're, they're like you know that came out of there you know kind of inside apple they were they're like we need it and you know there are some strong note takers at apple like mm. you know tim cook deep down that guy's a note taker. He's not leaving without like a list of stuff he's that probably on that Cornell gonna, shit. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, he probably is. So like, those, so maybe, maybe they will get there for you. Man, right? Can you imagine if you use the Cornell method and you could have like a team of three assistants who went back through and summarized it? And, oh like, yeah. That's, like, yeah. Oh, so, wow. Right. They do. You know, I mean, a lot of stuff may never work for Apple, but like, you know, there's a, there's that team at notes. They're, they're working on it. So there's, there's hope yet. Maybe there's a graph paper lover or a custom background person oh. uh, in there. Like we just got to find them. They're, they're probably maybe, in maybe there there's somewhere. a hack that I, well, whatever. I'm going to yeah. stop. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep on it. You know, iOS 18 is only a year away. Maybe they'll hit it. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what that journaling app is like too. That was like, can, can I just say, as we close that, I'm, I, uh, I want to put a moratorium on announcing a product and then not releasing it. I'm, I'm not into that. I, I don't, I'm, <laughs> Don't do that. (laughs) Well, speaking of things not to do, you should not not subscribe to this podcast if because you've been listening to Software Defined Talk. And if you've listened this far and you don't subscribe, you definitely need to subscribe. This has been episode 434. So if you want to see links to things we talked about and a whole bunch of stuff we didn't, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 434 and find that. You should join the Slack community that we talked about. As Brandon mentioned, you can get stickers for free if you email stickers at software-defined-talk. 
gmail.com. And it would be great if you recommend this to your friends and your enemies, your children, your dogs, whatever it may be. As I like to say, if you find yourself with some sort of control over someone else's device that can subscribe to a podcast, give them a little uh, unasked for present. Look up Software Defined Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, for a limited time, Google Podcasts, and just subscribe to this podcast. They'll, they'll thank you or at least not know it was you and you'll never hear about it. But we will get the <laughs> download numbers. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. The only background noises I'm hearing, Brandon, is that constant talking in my head. <laughs>